What the hell just happened? The focus of this podcast is to help, educate, and empower survivors of narcissistic abuse, domestic abuse, and intimate partner violence. The survivor stories shared here chronicle what the hell just happened to them and how they were able to heal, grow, and thrive. Many victims of this kind of insidious psychological, emotional, and even physical abuse are left reeling after the relationships end, wondering if they're crazy and responsible for what's happened. I hear you, I see you, and I believe you. You're not alone, you're not crazy, and you're not to blame. Let's talk about what the hell just happened and discover how to heal, grow, and thrive. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Shartha Rao. Shartha is a survivor of narcissistic abuse, as well as a certified narcissistic abuse specialist, a level two brain spotting practitioner, and will soon be an ICF accredited certified somatic trauma informed coach. Welcome Shartha to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much, Laurel. Thank you for the opportunity. So tell us a little bit about your history and um, how you've experienced narcissistic abuse in your life. Yeah, so I've grown up in a South Asian household. I was um, first-generation Indian-American, so my parents, my father immigrated here to the U.S. in the 70s. My mother got married and moved to the U.S., Um, and I grew up, I was born in the States, but we lived in different countries growing up, and I basically was was raised in a very conservative South Asian household um, in the fact that, you know, we were very culturally very inculcated in what we were in the South Asian culture, which had many good aspects, you know, we were very family oriented, we um, didn't have any relatives outside of India, but we lived here in the US and um, off and on would, you know, make we actually had a huge community of people that my my parents were part of. Um, But my father, who is well, very well known in the community, you know, there were certain things in our childhood that we never questioned in, in his behavior. Like, for example, the mood of the house was based on his mood. He was always the primary breadwinner and um, financially controlled everything, you know, um, even to the point of like, you know, my mom was a housewife uh, and she raised us at home and we were, she was always there for us, which was amazing growing up, but she also had very little power dynamic in the relationship and we always just sort of I thought it was normal you know that um my dad controlled everything financially and she really had very little say in what she wanted to to spend anything on or what we did all of our activities and our she really had no voice in that and I thought that was normal in a relationship and growing up and even whatever we were doing as far as my major in college all of that was really prescribed by him he really controlled, even though he, he kept saying, oh, we're going to discuss it. The discussion was really whatever he ended up wanting in the end. Um, I was also raised in a conservative household where I was not allowed to talk to boys or date 
or, um, you know, we were, there were certain expectations of you um, growing up. Like we were, as girls, my, my sister and I, we were raised to the woman kind of did everything to help. Like if we had guests, we were always the ones helping my mom. My dad really didn't do any of that. We served him basically. Um, again, all things that I thought were normal and completely what everybody does, right? <laughs> um, soon to realize afterwards that, um, you know, when I was getting, when I was, after I finished college, my parents were like, it's time for you to get married. I mean, this is part of the, the cultural expectation. I had, again, never dated, never really talked to a boy. So um, they, we went down the arranged marriage route, which was also very <laughs> devaluing because I'm not a very thin person. I'm not very fair in some of these expectations and the in the society as you basically are a fair thin person or you're based on your looks and your your specs basically are you earning are you get college educated things like that were part of that dynamic and um so i had very little self-esteem growing up being a chubby kid already and also raised in a household where i had very little voice um you know food was my comfort so I was an emotional eater growing up. And this was, again, things were, I would get criticized for my weight growing up by my parents, but it was always like food was the one thing you were never denied, right? So there's a lot of dynamics to that um, that layering of the way I was raised um, to the point where when I was in the arranged marriage route, finally, I mean, there were so many people that my parents introduced me to, but was constantly getting rejected, like, you know, she's kind of chubby or she's this, never about me as a person. Um, I was already had a job, I was earning good money. Um, none of that was really as significant as the way I looked. So immediately I'm already kind of like beaten down with my self-esteem. Um, at that point, my parents introduced me to my narcissist ex-husband at this point, um, who I thought was a breath of fresh air, like he was, this amazing person, very soft-spoken, very nice, you know, said all the right things, like, you know, love you for you, even though we only knew each other for very little time. It was just all the things I was craving to hear, right? Um, and now I know those things to be love-bombing, and, um, uh, you know, it went through all that cycle where basically I was, my parents kept telling me I was so lucky that somebody chose me to marry. And I was, you know, in a position where I was like, okay, well, yeah, absolutely. He seems like such a great guy. I met him and um, we started chatting. Um, at that time, it was emails. We didn't have like these chat mechanisms, but and on the phone. So as we started that in January, met officially in February, got engaged in April and got married in July. Like that's the time span that it happened very, very, very quickly. Um, Soon after we, I got married, I realized something's wrong in my relationship or, and I always equated it to me because this whole time I've always thought, I'm just so lucky somebody chose me. I'm just not worthy of anything because I'm not pretty. I'm not beautiful. I'm not thin. I'm not, <laughs> all of these uh, self-deprecating thoughts and my self-esteem. So, um, you know, my narcissistic ex-husband is called an ex so my next was basically very moody he had his own trauma in his childhood i always thought okay my love will fix it you know these are the thoughts all of us have um and i always just figured that everything that went wrong or if he was off in his mood it was because of me or i did something wrong and of course he's not doing anything to to make me feel differently like it just suits the purpose right so it was a constantly like well you did this because of this and you know you have your own insecurities you need to work out and that's why you feel this way and um constant reminders of that 
um, I also had fertility issues. And um, when we were trying to have children, again, another hit to my, there's something wrong with me because I wasn't able to have a child easily. <laughs> um, we finally did get pregnant and I had my first daughter. And um, at the time, uh, I was, because I had miscarried just before I had, I got pregnant with her. Um, when I got pregnant with her, my and my next suggested, you know, let's move in with your parents because there'll be a support system. And it's a very common thing in South Asian households to have joint families. You know, my parents grew up in a joint family. Whenever we visited our relatives in India, it was all joint families. So I was kind of nervous about it because I wasn't sure how it would go. Because I knew my dad's personality. My ex wasn't really exposed to that. But again, when they're around each other, they're charming people and, you know, so wonderful to each other and to us at the time, right? Um, anyway, he had never grown up in that type of environment as his, his upbringing was very dysfunctional and fortunately very sad circumstances. So I was like, okay, well, this will be good for everybody, I guess, you know, because he'll be happy and maybe then he'll be in a better mood and I won't have to deal with his moods by myself. Like maybe he'll be happier, you know, but it was kind of a nightmare, (laughs) Um, you know, I, we moved in with my parents and my, again, not knowing what I was dealing with, that I was dealing with an overt narcissist and a covert one, covert being my ex and overt being my dad, they would never confront each other. But my mom and I were like the, the targets, right? So if they weren't happy with each other, was hearing about it, me and my mom separately. And we're both trying to appease the other and people please and make sure everybody's okay in the household. And and again, with a small baby, I mean, it's it was a lot at the time. Again, think, I'm again thinking, I'm just going through the motions. These are common things that happen to everybody, not understanding that it's actually not common. And these are not things that I should have dealt with, but I, I did. Um, I got pregnant with my second child and then after she was born, realized it was time to move out. Um, and my my dad was very unhappy about it, you know, felt like we were abandoning him, even though we were living in the same city and all that stuff. But, um, you know, and after we moved out, it became very apparent to me that my relationship, there was something really wrong in my marriage. Like my kids were really little, but it, the sort of the toxicity and the the abuse cycle was ratcheted up where it was a lot of, Love bombing, devaluing, discarding, discarding in the sense that like there would be this silent treatment for days and um, there would be a lot of, you know, and then I would just to, again, because I couldn't take it, I would just succumb to whatever the demand was, right? Like if we want, if I wanted to buy something, for example, for the house, it was always this whole like manipulation of what, you know, we're not going to do that. That's not good. You know, that's not a good thing. You don't make good choices, you know? and this whole time, I I still have my job and my career. I hadn't given up my job. And at one point, I had thought about it would be good to quit with, with both my kids. I could stay home with them like my mom did. And I'm, again, following that example. Um, and I, I didn't for whatever reason. It was just sort of like an instinct. And also, my ex was very kind of making comments about the money that would be lost if I suddenly stayed home. So I, I kept on working, trying to keep everybody happy. Again, I would rush home, take care of the kids. I mean, it's a lot. And working parents, we all go through that. Um, and it was just a lot dealing with him, too, and his constant comments about, 
you know, well, you're not doing enough for the children, even though I was like killing myself trying to, I was exhausted all the time. And he's like, you're just lazy. You don't, you don't put any effort into being healthy. And I'm like, I'm not even able to focus on what I need to do for myself. So everybody else's needs ended up becoming more important than my own. So I was, there was never any thought about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, you know, I've started realizing things are really, really bad. Like I couldn't, it got to the point where my kids were getting older, but I was so beaten down. I felt so a shell of myself. I'm a very social and active person as far as having get togethers and things like that. And it was one of the things I used to love to do. Um, And initially, like I said, my ex would cooperate. He would be all for it. He'd put on this amazing act when everybody was there, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd have people over and he would constantly be like the perfect husband, perfect dad, perfect everything. But the minute everybody left, it was like, why did you invite everybody? I, you know, you, you took this on yourself and he wouldn't do anything to help. It was just all stuck on me. And then the kids would be, you know, cranky and he wouldn't really cooperate there. You know, it was just, it was too much to the point where I it slowly started degrading me. And I realized I was losing myself completely. One day, I think, um, I mean, basically I, I was driving down the street and I felt like, this I, I just can't do it anymore like it just I, something snapped in me I saw a pole and I was like I'm ready to swerve into that I, I moved the car towards it and I I, I don't know I, I felt like I'm not a very religious person but I definitely believe that something higher is looking out for me the car swerved back and I thought I, I pulled over and I was shaking and I thought this obviously I'm still here for a reason I don't I want to be around for my children I need to get out of this marriage. Like, this is not good for me. And I, I boiled it down to that. I, I couldn't understand what I, I said. No thing I do is ever going to work here. Like, I'm never going to make this person happy. And I'm, and I used to have thoughts of, you know, what is it going to be like when I'm really old and we're, we're alone together? Like, how is that going to be? And I thought, maybe I have to get sick for him to care. I mean, I just didn't understand what I would do to make this person happy, right? It was sort of like this depression that I would fall into thinking about that. Right now I had the distraction of the children, but after that, and even then I could tell, like, they're feeling the brunt of this. They're seeing the unhappiness. So, I mean, I made that decision to leave, but it still took two years for me to leave the house. We lived separated in the same house because... Even though I earned money and even though, um, you know, we were in a good financial situation, quote unquote, he had control over all of the finances. And that was the way my parents were. My dad controlled everything. So I kind of like followed the same mold. I didn't do anything differently. And I thought I could trust, you know, everything that he was doing, um, which turned out to be he controlled everything. He would say, oh, well, everything is joint accounts. You should, You have access to everything. But then when I would ask questions, he would completely, you know, berate me or just say you don't trust me this is why and so in the end I'm not asking right I'm not asking questions I'm not trying to rock the boat I just want it to be peaceful we just pretend like nothing is bad is happening at the next moment like one minute he'll be yelling and the next minute it'll be all let's just be quiet about it and I just pretend like nothing happened I mean this is a dissociation right so it's just completely alienating who I am um so being in the same house separator was very, very difficult. It was one of those times where I don't ever, I don't know how I survived it, but I did. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, he would being kind of the, the narcissist that he was like, 
he would pretend like he would um like for example the keys to we had an extra set of keys to my car which i didn't and i didn't hide them like i just kept my set and i put the other set in a common space where we had kept all the other keys at one point they disappeared and i didn't know where and i would ask him like and this is one the point of our separation and he said i don't know you probably left it somewhere because you're so irresponsible I mean, he just pretended like he hadn't done anything with them. So, I, of course, this whole time I think I'm going crazy. Finally, when our divorce was finalized, I said, I am going to need the other set of keys. He said, you lost them a long time ago. I said, no, I'm pretty sure you've left them somewhere and you're trying to make me feel like I've forgotten. And then the next day it showed up on the counter. Like, that's the type of crazy you know, you're living with. It's just, you know, until I found my voice, I couldn't um realize what it was but um even when we were so during the time that we were separated and after I had had that episode of being kind of suicidal I decided it was time to get therapy and um I didn't want to tell my ex that I was going to therapy because we were still in the same house and we were trying to work out our marriage quote unquote but basically um I would find a way to get cash from my account and I would pay my therapist in cash and at my first session, my therapist basically said, um, she gave me a checklist and she said, are you experiencing these things? And it was like, check, 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 check. And they were all basically to describe a narcissistic personality and especially the narcissistic personality disorder. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is real. You know, I thought, wow, this is a real thing. Like I felt validated all of a sudden, like, I'm not crazy here. This is real. This is a diagnosis. Um, I mean, I feel very blessed that I, I met her because she kind of just told me everything and she was trauma informed. She understood what I was dealing with. And as she was talking, I realized, Oh my gosh, this is what I have to deal with. And this is why it was never me. You know, for a long time, I always thought my marriage was issues were because of me. I mean, it was 16 years of it. So yeah. um, when she finally validated everything and kind of gave me kind of like, this is what you've been dealing with. You're going through complex PTSD. I thought, I don't even know what that is. I mean, the only time I heard PTSD was, you know, soldiers that came back from war. Right. And I thought, I'm not one of those people. Like, look, look at me. And she's like, no, it's much deeper. It's in your body. You're, you need to heal that. I mean, it all came out. Um, it was very telling, but it was also very difficult because now I can see everything, right? And I'm still living in the same house with this person. Mm-hmm. I can see all of the things that he's doing and I can't unsee them. And knowledge is power. So you're in this position where you're like, I know exactly what you're doing, but it's difficult to like now enforce. I have to gray rock in a situation like this. And I have to also manage the expectations of my children whose world has just been turned upside down. Even though both parents are in the same house, we're not the same people anymore, you know? And it was very difficult at that time. Um, And then after I got divorced and finally was able to move out, my therapist said, let's talk about your dad. (laughs) And up until this point, I had been idealizing the man, right? Like just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, he, he was not very supportive through my divorce, to be honest with you, but I always said, okay, that's just because he's old and that's the culture and they don't understand, they don't believe in divorce, but it was more than that. It was more of like, he was really sympathizing with my ex, not really acknowledging the abuse. Mm. And as I started explaining that more and more to my therapist, she was like, I think you're, we need to look at this deeper. And I realized my dad was an overt narcissist. And this is why they were he was so sympathetic to my ex. And 
you know, he would always refer to him as his son. And, and I'm like, how do you not support your own daughter that's suffering at the hands of this person? Mm-hmm. Yet you're supporting this person that's hurting her so badly and not acknowledging that she's hurt. That's not unconditional love, is it? I mean, that's not accepting of your child. So I started realizing my father was an overt narcissist. My mother was very codependent on him. She still is to this day. She's one of the most intelligent people I know, but you know, my dad controls everything. And um, I realized that's why I grew up the way I did. My self-esteem issues are, it takes away a toll on you. And then also being married to a, a narcissist you're a shell of a person when you leave everything and you think, okay, walking away and having your own space is enough, but it's not, you have to really, there's a different set of healing that has to happen after you leave when you're in a place of safety, when you're, when you have the separation of space and, and thought, and you're not constantly on edge trying to please this other person, you're now trying to heal yourself differently. And all of these other wounds start showing up, you know, where you don't realize it, where you don't realize that you need deeper understanding of what's happening in your mind um so that's i mean that's sort of how i got here basically is this understanding of i need to get better i need to heal i need to understand and as a result of that i started looking up podcasts (laughs) i started looking up books i started reading more my therapist helped me understand a little bit more about what was going on um and I understood that, you know, I have a lot more healing to do. I still have a lot, a lot of things that I was doing. I mean, I was so scared to do anything. Um, when I moved out of my, my, my marital house, like I bought my own place, but I didn't, couldn't change a light bulb. I was scared to death. I was scared to look at my bank accounts that were my own because suddenly I have to look at all the numbers. And the irony is my, my job and my career, I deal with multi-million dollar contracts and I deal with budgets that are, you know, millions of dollars, but in my own house, I was scared to do anything because I was conditioned to believe I couldn't, you know, that I was not capable. So like turning up, you know, getting electricity put in my name, gas put in my name, looking at those bills, like there would be a pit in my stomach every time just to pay something off. It was, now I think back, I think, wow, like who was that person? (laughs) How did she get through that? And I feel sad for her because it was a time where I thought there was no way out of getting out of where I was, finally got out of it. But then it's like, oh, wow, am I even capable of moving forward? You know, how do I get, how do I become a whole person outside of this? Am I really going to be dependent on somebody else my whole life? Um, So you start going through that process of thinking that through and understanding one step at a time that I am capable and I'm doing the work inside of my own head to, to really reprogram my brain. To, to believe that I'm worthy and capable and strong. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Just so <laughs> amazing. Um, when you, when you get to that point and, the, and, and you really have that safety to be able to de- to dive in and, and start dealing with those things one little bit mm-hmm. at a time, it's, amazing growth I was just thinking as you were saying that you know at the end of a a narcissistic abusive relationship we think like how am I ever gonna survive this am I able to survive this am I just going to eat out this 
painful existence living in fear the rest of my life and the PTSD complex PTSD feels like a life sentence at that point like how is this ever going to go away Mm -hmm. and um, it's amazing the growth that you've gone through um, especially after going through a a lengthy separation because I'm sure you know, there's no safety living with your narcissist while uh-huh. you're separated. You are enemy number one. If anything, I would think that the abuse got worse during that um, yeah. portion. It, of it. It, it was really um, things that I, I took for granted, you know, like, like I mentioned the keys. Uh, I mean, I'm still in the house that I, I basically put together with him. Right. So I didn't things that didn't occur to me like hiding my important papers um putting putting those away i mean it got to the point where at one point when we were going through the divorce process he he used to keep all of our important paper like the birth certificates of the kids the passports things like that um and when we asked when i asked for them i said can i get a copy of them he said i don't know where they are he must have hidden them the reality was i knew the box that he used to keep them in. I, I went looking for it. They were gone. He had hidden them and he had destroyed them somehow. Yeah. Had to refile for everything. You know, it's sort of like these things that I now understand as part of divorcing a narcissist. And first is get safe and try to find a space that's completely your own and is private. And if you financially can't afford to leave, you know, find ways to take care of the things that are valuable and before you kind of hint on the fact that you're going to leave them um and these are things nobody kind of tells you or understands or knows because they haven't survived that again the persona that's outside for a covert narcissist the the show and image that they put on is such a wonderful person look i'm letting her stay here because she can't leave right now not explaining to anybody that he's controlling finances and that i can't leave Or the fact that you know it's he's he's basically not signing any agreements. I mean, we basically negotiated for two years, and finally I gave in on the properties, and I said, okay, you can just keep them. I'm done fighting this because it wasn't worth it to me. My peace of mind was worth more. But bottom line is, he's explaining to everybody how wonderful he is and how how he's ready to support anything I want to do, and he doesn't understand why I want to leave him. Yeah. And his, all the flying monkeys come out. He's called every relative on the planet. He's called all of our friends, explaining his side of the story. And you're trying, not, you know, how do you explain to people who don't understand what this is, who aren't trauma-informed, what's actually happening to you? Nobody believes you, right? Yeah. And you think, I am really going crazy. I know what this is now, but am I really crazy? Like, you start questioning yourself. Yeah. You feel crazy when you're trying to explain it to people that don't understand it, that are not trauma informed. I, I can totally relate. I went through that myself and just trying to make them understand. I felt crazy. I felt I looked crazy. I felt like I sounded crazy. The expression on their face as they were hearing the words I was saying was like, you're a crazy lady. And he 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 definitely monopolized on all of that. You know, it benefited his narrative at the time. And absolutely. And he looks so calm and collected. And 
I don't understand why she's reacting the way she is. It's reactive abuse. I mean, yeah. there are terms for these things now. Yeah. As you start understanding them, it's like they've pushed you to the point. You've tried to stay calm. You've tried to not react. They've pushed you to the point little by little by doing the things that they do every single day. Yeah. And finally, when you do get to the point where you're reacting, they're making it a show so that it Look. shows that you're crazy. Yeah. Look at her. I don't Look understand what that why is you know, she the, yelling look at that she's yeah. the crazy one exactly oh exactly. my gosh yeah a covert covert narcissists are so they're so insidious in in how they are you know dr jekyll and mr hyde and they're one way to the public and then they're a completely different way behind closed doors and that baiting that they do to cause a reaction, get the reaction back from you is so manipulative and the gaslighting too. I mean, the, the, the story that you're telling about the car keys, it made me think of the movie Gaslight. Oh yeah. Because mm -hmm. there's parts of that movie, which is the word, where the word and the meaning of all of that came from where mm -hmm. the husband is taking belongings of hers and even like moving artwork off the wall or like taking a painting down and she'll she literally is like where did that painting go and he would say I think he would say something like I don't know what you're talking about there's never been a painting there or um, the other thing was like a watch or some something that she couldn't find and then he sneaks it into a bag and all of a sudden she discovers it and it's out in public yeah. and she's like losing it because yeah where has it been where has it been and then she's convinced that she's gone crazy yeah. because all of a sudden it's in her purse and it's him yeah. behind the scenes the literally time. driving her crazy the whole time so that especially that when you mentioned the car keys and what happened with that i'm like yeah. oh my gosh this is the yeah. movie gaslight it's yeah. so insidious how they really are, you know, driven to, you know, blame shift everything, but really make you feel crazy at the end. Yeah. Where I mean, it, to the point where we had to, in our agreements, we when we got divorced, we had to split like pictures and um, of the kids, and they're all digital now. And in, in our case, and um, he has still not given me pictures of when they were born. You know, there's still a whole library of pictures that I never got. And I would constantly keep asking him. I'm still, I still haven't received them. But, and he said, oh, they, they got messed up. There was a virus on the computer or something. But after we got divorced, he would start sending the kids those pictures in, in texts of when they were born. Look how beautiful you were. I mean, these are pictures I had been asking him for and he's sending it to them. And, and using it to manipulate his kids. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it was heartbreaking. It would, it would hit me every time that it happened. And then I realized, you know, as I started doing a lot more work on myself and healing that I'm not going to be able to change or rationalize what this person is doing. It's, they're the crazy ones. Mm -hmm. All I can do is understand that what I'm dealing with is crazy and it's not me. And unfortunately, I may never get that whole library of, of pictures, but at this point, I have a few that he sent to them, and I, I'm grateful for that. And at first, also, my kids had a very difficult time believing that their father was like this, right? Because they've only seen 
the one side and I was shielding them from a lot of the other things that I was dealing with. And then now I kind of stepped out of the way for them to understand, you know, because our custody agreement was 50-50 at the time in the beginning. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, unfortunately they have to see it and it's very difficult to see their heart breaking when they understand that their father doesn't keep his promises and he will say whatever he needs to say to get them to do what he wants. And then in the end, doesn't really, um, you know, support them um, in what they're, what he's promised them, you know, and, and thus these are the unfortunate things, but. um, How is that co-parenting? I know your kid, how old are your kids now? They've, they're a bit older. Kids are um, 18 and 16. Um, but at the time they were just, my younger one was just becoming a teenager. She was just turning 13. My older one was, um, 15 at the time. And it was difficult for them to understand what was happening. Cause again, they knew, and it's funny cause I, I did t- tell my, I'm sorry, Laurel, my battery's also running low. I need to fix my charge. Yeah, um, um, but I had basically told my daughters, you know, Hey, we're getting a divorce. And my older one, her first reaction was, I don't know why it took you so long, mom. Like they had been feeling it for a long time. And after we started exploring it in our safe safe space, when I moved out, I started talking to them a little bit more, realized, um, you know, I, I did the right thing in leaving because now they can actually openly talk about these things and they're not trying to like live in this hypervigilant state all the time on not only pleasing their father, but pleasing me and trying... I said, you know, you can show me all your emotions now. It's okay. You know, it's safe. So it's interesting how they they know, the kids know ahead of time what's going on. In any case of divorce, but especially with a narcissist. And they have to do what they need to do for survival too. I mean, they kind of have to appease their narcissistic father. Unfortunately, they still have to deal with him, you know, and they still have to deal with my, my father, who's their grandfather, who is also very manipulative. So... Now that I understand these terms and I understand what we're dealing with, I try to educate them a little bit on, you know, when this person says this, it's not a reflection of you, mm-hmm. you know, that it's basically them and it's not you. But yeah. these are hard things for anybody to learn at any age. And especially when you're a child who's yeah. dependent on the other person, you know? Yeah. Do they um, express a desire to want to like not visit him or contact so my younger one did and um we actually went through a whole trial after we got divorced because there was an issue with her not wanting to go and he at that time took himself to also accuse me of all of these violations of our divorce agreement um mostly because he was very upset that she just didn't want to go to him and she was staying with me so um, and I told him, give her time, you know, try, you try to rationalize with the person, like give her time, let's give her space. She'll, she'll work this out, do some things to encourage her to be around you. None of that worked. We went through two days of trial. My daughter ended up testifying on her own behalf with the judge separately. When he was very kind, the judge was able to speak to her and he basically agreed that she needed to stay with me. So, um, you know, that he has every other weekend with her, but my older one was already in high school and she said, I want to just stay going back and forth because it'll, I don't want to change high schools because my house feeds to a different school. Um, so that's what ended up happening. And it was to the point now where 
you know, the younger one still kind of resists going, but she does go. And I've also told her, you know, at some point she's going to have to build some kind of relationship or whatever it looks like to her. Uh, I don't force the issue, but at the same time, because of legalities. And the other thing is the court system does not understand narcissistic abuse. They're not trauma-informed in many cases. They don't understand the effects of this type of abuse on a child or an adult. And a healthy father and a healthy partner should always have access to their children. Absolutely agree, 100%. And it should be in the interest of the child. But when you're in a situation like this, again, explaining what's happening on a day-to-day basis, the emotional toll, it's very difficult to explain to anybody and let alone a legal system. Yeah. that has these definitions of what should be right and what shouldn't be and how do you prove any of it you know it got to the point where before we had gone to trial what really kind of exacerbated it was my daughter my younger one refused to go back after a week and he called the police on me and sent them over to try to said i kidnapped her i mean it was these are oh. terrible and abusive things that happen right and she was at home. She almost opened the door. Luckily, I opened the door. And the police officers were very nice. They spoke to us very kindly. And he, they saw her and they told her not to be scared. But they warned me. I mean, they I think they've seen some things like this where they basically said, your ex is going to take you to court. Well, you know, be ready. And I didn't believe it. You know, I was like, no, we just got divorced. Why would we go... It's post-separation abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, I now understand what that is. I now understand what happens when you, because you've basically taken the rug out from under them. They have finally lost realms of control. And the last realm of control when you have children with them is the children. Because yeah. once they realize you're not reacting to them, they'll use the children as a way to really exert some control. Yeah. Making it seem like you're the parent that's keeping them away and alienating them. But the reality is they're doing it themselves. And I wanted nothing more than for my daughters to have a good relationship with their father. I still hope for some semblance of that, but I know what I'm dealing with. And I, I think they've now understood what they're dealing with. And in the end, it's going to be what they want it to be. And I'm not forcing it anymore, yeah. um, but they're older, you know, and I, I feel for the people that have younger children that are going through this because it's very difficult to watch, but you have to separate yourself from that relationship too, in the sense that the children have to sort of, understand what they're dealing with at any age and you are the safe space you are the one that's going to allow them to show their emotions and to talk to you and be there for you and uh, or be there for them and that's the most important thing having a parent that's just open and ready to hear them and they don't have to put an act on with is so powerful and so important and that's what I've learned is you can't co-parent They talk about parallel parenting, but sometimes it's not even parallel parenting because you're not moving in the same direction. Mm -mm. You're moving in divergent directions. Mm -hmm. And all I've learned in my own experience is give them a safe space, let them be able to talk. And yes, it's difficult because sometimes they will just blame you because they don't have any other way to to express it. Mm -hmm. And then try to get them help. You know, therapy is really important. Working with somebody is really important. And I believe that for everybody. So things I've learned. Yeah, I I can relate to so much of that, um, having gone through a lot of that myself as well. Yeah, Yeah. it is extremely difficult to navigate and heartbreaking to see the children get weaponized. Um, I think that leaving a narcissist causes that 
<clears throat> that narcissistic injury and the way they cope with that and react to that is make making you the enemy you know and doing anything they can to kind of destroy you emotionally yeah. in any way yeah. you know get back at you and unfortunately when you know you're gray rocking and they can't get the supply and they can't get the response that they used to get they will use the children they will then move on to the children and use the children to elicit a response out of you and try to hurt you and the sad part is th that they don't realize that you know once you get to a point where you're emotionally stable and you're able to regulate your emotions and think their behavior doesn't it, you don't personalize it anymore it's no reflection on you you're, you you don't see it that way anymore so you're not reactive to it anymore their goal of trying to destroy you it's not successful and actually the only thing that they're destroying is their own children yeah yeah and unfortunately they the it's also hard to see the abuse cycle on the kids right so there was a lot of you know manipulation love bombing in the beginning and then especially after the divorce like i'm the better parent look at me i'm doing all of these things for you and then it goes to slowly like the kids are I mean, they're teenagers and my kids were teenagers at this point. They're putting up their own boundaries. They're testing their limits. You know, they're being teenagers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, they, they start de devaluing them and like fighting, you know, what, what are you putting up a boundary with me? I'm your father. Why can't you just listen to everything I say? I mean, these are some normal dynamics, but when you're with a narcissist, it's exemplified or ex expanded a little bit more where they're just constantly trying to like, exert their control over your your over your child and you're watching this trying not to you know you again you have to again pick how you're going to deal with it because mm -hmm. it's the relationship they have with the other parent you're not trying to manipulate the situation yourself to convince them of anything and i had to watch that kind of play out and then finally to the point where he's kind of discarded one of our children where the younger one that decided to live with me most of the time he's really discarded her in a lot of ways like he won't acknowledge sometimes when she texts and then kind of makes her feel bad for everything there's a lot of dialogue that happens outside of when I'm there and mm -hmm. I've tried to also tell my kids like I'm sorry that it's happening sometimes they used to tell me things sometimes they don't it it's difficult for, to watch that whole cycle go through what yeah. it needs to go through unfortunately yeah. Um, and there's a lot of recovery that they'll have to go through for their own healing. In the, yeah. It's challenging to stay in your own lane. Absolutely. And not focus on, because of course we know we can't control anybody else's behavior, but it is so painful to watch the train wreck happen as it's going past, you know, as I like to say. Um, what I've also learned is like the kids have seen me growing and thriving and healing. I mean, to the point where now I'm in like growth, post-traumatic growth, where I'm just, I feel happier. I'm exploring my own options. I'm working on helping others through the coaching certificate. I mean, there are so many things that they're seeing me do that it's now, I can see that they're not only proud of me, but it, it affects the way that they're dealing with things now too, right? 
they're also seeing that they have the opportunity to stand up for themselves, to draw boundaries in relationships. And, you know, they can see toxicity before, like, especially friendships, which this was something that I thought was very interesting, right? Like they suddenly can see toxic friendships and how that person makes them feel. And, you know, and I'm so proud of that. It's like, this is exactly the stuff we, I've always been talking to them about because I've gone through it now and explaining to them, like your body feels before you are ready to accept, you know, so you should listen to what you're feeling in your body. And these are things nobody ever really taught me. And now I'm learning through our somatic coaching program. Like these are things that are important to understand and honor and respect. When I see them playing it out, I'm so proud of it. I'm like, this is exactly what I needed. This is why we do what we do, right? To make sure that they're okay and happy and healthy. And I left my marriage because of that. I'm finally going to see the results of them being happy and putting up boundaries and being able to speak up for themselves. Things I never did for myself. That is some true uh, generational cycle breaking that you've got going on over there. You are really exemplifying the, as their, as a role model, really a healthy role model of how to love yourself and be authentic to yourself and how to set boundaries and how to honor yourself and that's just amazing to hear, you know, to see that in your children and see them learning from what you've had to go through for many years. And, you know, that's beautiful that they've, that you see that, you know, that it's, you know, that what they say about heal yourself and heal the next generation. And that's exactly what is happening in your family. So that's an amazing outcome, you know, out of a terrible, terrible journey to get here. But yeah, it's a beautiful thing that it, that it's the cycle is broken and, and that they are going to live because you broke the cycle, got the help, began working on yourself, healing yourself, have really grown so much that... um you know, chances are they won't have to repeat that cycle in their own lives and they'll be able to, because of how you've set that example and shown them a different way, they'll be able to live a life that's much more in tune with themselves and filled with joy and boundaries that, you know, and it will actually help them probably navigate their relationship long-term with their father because they'll know how to stand up and say, no, yeah, you can't treat me like that. It's not acceptable. That's I, right. I see what you're doing and no. Right. So Thanks. that is amazing. Amazing to hear that. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit, um, you've, you've gone through this incredible journey and you've done so much work on yourself and I know that um, you've gone on to you know go into actually helping others and you're a narcissistic abuse uh, certified narcissistic abuse specialist and a level two brain spotting practitioner and you're working on um, a coaching certification for 
somatic trauma informed um, that program. What um, you know? What are your goals and hopes? You know, what do you where do you see yourself going with this? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I really my biggest um, goal has been to bring awareness. You know, I didn't know what any of these terms meant. I didn't even know what was happening to me. And I think a lot of people are in the same situation, no matter what background. But I feel like a lot of people think as part of the South Asian community that these are just normal things. This is a part of our culture. But I'm here to say it's not really the culture. The culture is beautiful. It's very loving and and giving, but these are things that the people use to explain away their abusive behavior. And that's what I want people to understand. And I want people to, to help people see that. It's so critical for people to understand that it's not the culture that's used in, and it's not the culture that's actually teaching this. It's the people that are in that culture that are using it as an excuse to be abusive, mm-hmm. to be toxic. I want to bring that awareness to people. I want them to understand they're not alone. Leaving situations like this are very difficult, especially when you have very little financial control in your situation and feeling like there's no way out, you know? And, and I, I, even though, like I said, financially, I shouldn't have had an issue. I was earning money. That was, I still felt helpless. I still felt like I had no control and I didn't leave. I knew my marriage was bad for many, many years, but I didn't leave because I was so scared. You know, who would accept me? How would I be able to function with my children? Um, I was part of a larger community. I didn't know anybody else that had been divorced in my circle of friends. And now I've developed a whole new circle of people that are supporting me. And I, I have a whole new group of people, some of them from before that have continued to support me, but then some that I had to do a, a purge on, you know, like I cleansed my friend list and the people that really mattered stayed and the people that didn't understand and want to understand or were just as toxic, I had to get rid of. So these are things I'd like to bring awareness to. My goal is to, to help women in any circumstance, any background to understand these are not normal things that they have a voice, they have a way to get out. But especially in the South Asian community where things like this are not discussed, you know, you, you will hear or you'll see somebody having issues in their marriage, but then you just look away. Oh, it's between them. We're not going to get involved. Um, but knowing that, you know, hey, there is somebody they can talk to. This is not normal. You have a voice. You have a, the ability to be happy and you have the ability to be a whole person and you have value. There's nothing stopping you from getting what you want and need in a relationship in, in any situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, then my goal is to grow that awareness, to help people, to work with them, to heal somatically, to heal in their bodies too. Because a lot of what I felt like that gut instinct of, I need to look at a bank account. I mean, I don't want anybody to feel that or understand that when you do feel that, it's normal that it's a normal part of your responses because of the way things had happened in your life. But there are ways to move past that and to heal that. And you always don't have to live in this constant state of fear and anxiety mm-hmm. that there is a way to, to be in your logical self and be in control. So that's, that's my ultimate goal is to work with people like that. That's a beautiful thing. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, just an amazing journey of, 
healing and growth that you have reached and I am just so honored to be able to you know sit with you and talk and learn about you know what you've experienced and what you've gone through um, for our audience members that want to uh, reach you to work with you what is the best way for them to contact you yeah, so I'm on Instagram right now at Evolution of Sharda, um, and I'll give you that handle because uh, my name is spelled a little bit differently than the way it's pronounced. Yeah. But I definitely will have information on there on, on doing discovery calls, talking to people, whatever I can do to help. Um, and I just want people to know they're not alone. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Absolutely. And we'll add all that uh, links and everything to the show notes. And mm -hmm. wow, just so honored and so blessed to hear, you know, what an amazing journey you've gone on. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Laurel. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. See you on the next episode. What the Hell Just Happened is a Kick in the Hornet's Nest production created and hosted by me, Laurel Whittier. If you'd like to support the show further, you can share episodes with your friends and family, leave a positive review, and follow What the Hell Just Happened on Instagram. If you're interested in being interviewed on the podcast, please go to wthjh.com to share your story or email me at hello at wthjh.com. If you're in need of healing support, be sure to come and join my free and private Facebook group, Healing Narcissistic Trauma, or drop me an email at hello at healnarcissistictrauma.com. And please know that you are not alone in any of this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you can go from living in survival mode to grow and thrive after the trauma of abuse. <laughs>